Well, I hope you've been enjoying our series on the patriarchs. I have been. Um, it's been it's been great looking at the founders of our faith um, and looking at these ordinary people. Remember, I told you in the beginning. I was trying to get creative, and I said we're going to call it "Walking with Giants" until we looked at it honestly and said they're not giants; they're just ordinary, everyday people with problems just like us. But they had an extraordinary God that did amazing things through them. And and and, and the scriptures tell us. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul wrote that all the things of the Old Testament serve as examples for us to learn from um, as, we, as we look at our lives now. And so God's given us the scriptures and he shows us the real life situations in people's lives of, of their ordinariness, of their, of their struggles, of their problems, of their failures, because that's a picture of our lives. But then shows what it's like when ordinary people um, are, are connected to an extraordinary God and how he takes frail people, and he does amazing things through them. And the amazing things that he did through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, is he used them to establish um, the nation of Israel, which ends up being eventually Jesus comes out of. And then, then the Bible talks in the New Testament that today you and I are grafted into that. He calls it, one of the illustrations is the, the olive tree. He calls the nation of Israel the olive tree. And he says we've been grafted into that as, as, uh, so that we can be part of the family of God. And so these guys are really important. Um, what, what they established, we can learn from and say, God could use them. Guess what? If God can use them, he can use me to establish really amazing things that change the world also. So today we're going to move on in our, in our patriarchs. We've already done Abraham. We've done Isaac. So who comes next? Jacob. We're doing patriarch number three, uh, uh, Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And what we're going to do for today, it's a little different, is because we're going to spend three Sundays on Jacob, um, we are going to take kind of the 30,000-foot view of his life today. And then the next two weeks, we're going to get more focused on specific things in his life. But we're going to start with this broad view because we're going to see something. And we can't see it unless we look at the broad view. We're going to see, we're going to focus on today, is look at the change that happens in the life of Jacob over his life. We're going to look at the reality of the, the fact that this man... Um, becomes a totally different man at the end of his life than he was at the beginning. That he's a man who matures and grows. And the focus of what we're going to look at is, how did that happen? We're going to gain some insights from his life and say, how did he mature and grow? How did he become somebody better um, in, in his life? What were the things that factors in that in his life? So we're going to start with this, this broad view. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to be able to see his change. And we want to see how he changed so that we can gain insight into how we might change, because here's the reality, friends. God wants to help each of us, every one of us, you. You think you're stuck. You're not stuck. God wants to help you change. He wants to help you grow for a reason, not just to make people that look different and act different. He wants to make you grow and mature so that you can live lives of fullness and joy in him. He came, Jesus came to give us life that's more abundant than the life before him. And that comes through this development of becoming formed in his likeness. And so he wants to help us grow and develop so that we can live lives of fullness and joy. See, growing and maturing, he wants to help us grow and mature beyond our past. He wants to help us overcome those sins that that seem to have grips on us. He wants you to become the best you and, uh, and, and he, he wants that. That's God's plan for your life. So let's see what we can learn from the life of Jacob. Um, 
you know, in, in his life. So let's kind of look, let's look at this broad view. First of all, we learned this about him. His life didn't start off so, so well. Um, this is the child, the third in the line, that's a promise of God. God's hand is upon Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all their kids to develop this line. But, but his life didn't, this, this chosen child didn't start so good. He starts off by finagling his brother um, out of his birthright, um, sells his brother, comes in hungry, and sells his birthright to him for a bowl of beans because he says he's starving. So he, he, he takes his birthright, and then at the end, he deceives and lies to his dad to get the blessing that would come upon him um, that was supposed to be for the older brother. He robbed, he actually put hairs on his arms because his brother was hairy and he didn't have a lot of hair, and he put his brother's clothes on. His dad was, was blind, and he, he came in and he, he lied to his dad to get his dad to bless him. Then in fear, because he's now robbed his brother twice, his brother's name is Esau, he flees from his brother Esau, who vows to kill him. Anybody ever been in such bad family relations that a relative actually has vowed to murder you? That's how bad this guy starts off. His brother vows to kill him, so he runs to a place called Padamaram, uh, where his relatives live, his, his, his father's relatives live, and he begins this, at there, this long life towards maturity. And what we find in Genesis 28 through 35 is the story of that journey. Now, we're not going to read all of it, but we are going to read some portions in a minute. Um, we see the story of this journey, and interestingly, what we're going to find, and this will give comfort to people who sometimes feel like, well, God just doesn't talk to me all the time. You know what we find about his life in all of that section, chapter 28 to 35, almost his entire life? We find this guy just lives an ordinary life, that he's living that 20-year period of time um, just being a shepherd for his uncle Laban. He's just taking care of the guy's sheep. Um, and during that entire time, he has three encounters with God. Three days in his life where he has something significant, where he feels like God really ministered to him or spoke to him or directed him. Three times in 20 years. It wasn't every day. It was three times in 20 years. And we're going to see something about those encounters. They're actually going to read all three encounters because we're going to see the encounters themselves reveal something about the change in his life, about his growth and his maturity that's taking place. And he goes from somebody who would rob his brother and lie to his dad to a solid man that God can build a nation on. So in order to see that change, to see this big picture, we want to do this flyover of these three encounters. And so let's grab our Bibles. This is where a paper Bible will serve you better, but... uh, I don't care if you have a digital one, but open your Bible to Genesis chapter 28. We're going to flip through and look at the three encounters. And this first one is going to be, he's going to name the place Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. He names it that. You're going to see why in a second. So uh, chapter 28 of Genesis, starting in the 10th verse, this is going to be read kind of a long portion here. We're going to read all the way to verse 22. This is his first encounter with God. It says, then Jacob departed from Beersheba and went towards Haran. Now, the reason he departed, remember why he departed? Because his brother has vowed to kill him because he ripped his brother off again and lied to his dad. And he goes, if he stays at home, his brother Esau is going to murder him. Literally, he's going to kill him because he stole his birthright. And so he, he leaves. His mom helps trick his dad. And his mom says, go and flee to our relatives. Verse 11. And he came to a certain place 
and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set up on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. There is none other, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took a stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel, which means the house of God. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I will take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, I will return to my father's house in safety. Then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So there he's at. He's fleeing his brother. He goes to sleep the first night. He has an encounter with God. He names the place Bethel. He sees angels and, and uh, ascending and descending, and God speaks to him about him being a blessing. So that, that's, that's the first encounter. Now, later, after that encounter, it says that he travels to Padamaram, and he meets his relative. He meets Uncle Laban, and he falls in love with Laban's daughter, Rachel. And while he's there, he's there for 20 years. While he's there, you can break his 20 years into three chunks. Chunk number one, he says, he falls in love with Rachel. He tells Laban, I'll work for seven years for you if you give Rachel to me as my wife. So he works for seven years. He said, time, Laban, to give me your daughter as, your, as my wife. They have the wedding night, and he wakes up in the morning, and he's not with Rachel. Now, I have just an honest question. How in the world is that possible? Honestly, there's only one answer in my book. Alcohol. I'm serious. There can be no other answer. How can you be in love with this lady? Granted, there's no electricity, there's no lights, but he's been waiting for seven years to be with Rachel. Laban, after the celebration, puts her older sister in the tent that he's not in love with. Her name is Leah. And he wakes up in the morning after being with Leah all night long, and the light comes up and he goes... You aren't Rachel. And so he's ticked off. He comes out of the tent and he goes to Laban, what's the deal? That's not, he goes, oh, we have a custom. We can't marry off the, the, the younger before the older. So here, um, finish a week with her and then I'll give you Rachel as your wife. And now you work seven more years to basically buy Rachel. So he does that. He works seven more years. And then after that, he wants to leave, but he decides to stay in for six more years He stays and he works for him. And here's what happens. As he continues this whole time working for him, everything he does is is blessed by God. All of Laban just becomes an extremely wealthy man because of having um, 
Jacob over all of his, all of his livestock and all, of, all that he does. And so after 20 years, it, or should I say in that 20 years, Laban continually rips him off. It says he changed his, labor, his, his wages, he lies to him, he mistreats him. So after 20 years, when he said earlier, hey, I want to leave, and Laban's like, you can't leave, he waits till the evening, and he sneaks out at night with his, with his two wives and 11 children, and everything he owns, because he has a bunch of the livestock is now his, um, and so he sneaks off. And so as he's fleeing Laban, because he just thinks Laban might even kill him to keep his daughters back and all, the, all of his resources that are now, are now his, um, while he's fleeing, he is encounter number two. So let's look at encounter number two. Flip over to chapter 32. And in chapter 32, we read encounter number two. We're going to start in verse 22. It says, now he rose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and he sent, and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until Jabbok. Okay, this is also one of the craziest stories in the whole Bible. Wait till we hear he wrestles and it ends up being it's God, but it's person. I don't know how that all works, but listen to the story. He wrestles with a man until daybreak. And when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob but Israel, meaning one who strives with God, for you have striven with God and with men and prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, what, or why is it that you want to ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, um, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of his hip. All right, so here's encounter number two. He wrestles with God, who's a man. God somehow, you know, revealed himself in a way that he wrestles with him all night, gets him to, to, to um, let go by dislocating his hip, you know, and then, but then God blesses him in that thing. So then he, he continues on his journey, and he continues on his journey, he realizes, I'm going back home, and my brother is there. Now, what did his brother say last time he saw him? I'm going to kill you. So he knows he's going to meet his brother, and so he, he sets a way to, to actually, and we'll cover it in a while, to actually apologize to his brother and bless his brother. And as he's on his way to the place to meet his brother, he goes back to the place of his first encounter with God called Bethel. So that's where we find our third encounter. So turn to, Matthew, or to, to Genesis 35, starting in verse 9, we'll read about his third and final encounter. 
It says, then God appeared to Jacob again when he had come from Padamaram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. And the land which I gave to Abraham and to Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had um, spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Now, I know that was just a whirlwind tour of Jacob's entire life. But what it does, it reveals something, and it's the something is the focus of today. It reveals this very changed man. And we can see this transformation in the three um, encounters. And I'll just explain it real briefly, then we'll go into a little more detail. In encounter one at Bethel, Think back, we just, I said, we read the first one, think about it. We see this immature man. This is why I mean he's immature. He's deal-making. He's, he's making a deal with God. He's self-important. He says this, I'll do this um, if you do that. So he's just this young guy wheeling and dealing with God in his first encounter. Then we come to the second encounter. He's been ripped off for 20 years. He's got two wives. He's got 11 children. Two wives and 11 children and being a sheep herder for a long time will we'll, we'll, we'll teach you a few things, won't it? Right? The 11 wives and the 11 children and the two wives will do that. And so, so he's, what we see in this one is a developing man. He's, I, we see this. He's desperate and he's striving. Think about that wrestling match all night. But what we see in him in this one is he's striving for the right stuff. Because he's striving for, he says, he's not asking for God's blessing. He doesn't ask for God's blessing, but for like money or anything like that. He's saying this, bless me. God, I just need you to bless me. I need to be connected with you. And then encounter number three, the second time he goes to Bethel, we find this established man. There's no deals. He doesn't try to do it. There's no wrestling. He just sets up the rock and he pours water and oil on it and he um, he worships, or probably wine and oil on it, and he worships. He's come to the place of understanding by the third time that it's just all about God. It's not about him. He's discovered who he is in God, and I think he's, he's settled in that. He's become this mature, solid man who can, who can just put his trust in God. And friends, I hope that's what we in this room all desire. Hear me today. I hope the desire of every one of you is to become solid in Christ. And I'm going to use this word, to become an elder. We live in a culture that's the opposite of that. We live in a culture that says this. We celebrate people when they get older and go, I'm just like the young guy. And somehow we want to look young and act young and not act our age. But here's the deal. What we see in the scriptures is the glory of his life was becoming an elder. Now with the elder comes along a sore back, right? And shoulders that don't work anymore, right, Roger? Can't lift weights anymore sometimes. You get injured easy. That's all part of getting old. But you can get old without being an elder. And what we see here is the desire to become elders. People that reveal 
Jesus so that others can look to us in this crazy world. The world's a train wreck. We are the answer. But God wants us to grow up and mature in Christ, to go through a life of growth. Now listen, you couldn't shortcut his, his growth life. We're going to see this. You couldn't shortcut it. It took going through this process of, of a whole lifetime. But the goal was to become an elder, to grow up in Christ in such a way that you're solid and mature, living in the goodness of God, so that when the world around you says, you know, um, I'm scared or, or this, is, this is out of control, and you go, no, listen, it's okay. Because God is with us. That's what God's trying to kind of create in us, that we become elders. We don't stay perpetual teenagers. And we see this in his life. The world needs us. The church world needs us. The whole world needs us to grow in Christ. And here's what I know. That doesn't happen by accident. It didn't in Jacob's life. Those three encounters were surrounded by years of living that caused him to grow. And in those years of living, I see some key things that Jacob did that fostered the growth within him. And I want to try to go through, don't, don't freak out, I'm going to go through five of them. We'll kind of go kind of quickly through five of them. And here's why I did it this way, five of them. Because I see them in the text. But I think this is what's going to happen today. As I go through this five, the Holy Spirit's going to point out one or two of them to each one of us. So that we can say, here's the thing that I want to, I want to hold before the Lord and say, God, I recognize in the life of Jacob this thing about me that has to grow. If I'm going to, if I'm going to, if I'm going to grow, this has, to, this has to be addressed in my life so that I can go forward with the Lord and I can become the elder that God wants me to become. So that God can say, I can do great things through you. Like he said, by the end of the beginning of his life, he's a deceiver. God can't build a nation on that. At the end, he's one who, who wrestles with God. One who, and prevails. God says, I can use you. I can use you to affect the world. Because what, what was the message to him and to every, his, the two before him about what God was going to do through them? Was God saying, I'm just going to bless you so that, hey, you got a good life? I'm blessing you so the entire world will be blessed through you. Here's what God wants. He wants to bless others through us. That's what growing up is all about. That's what eldering is all about. So he can bless others through us. So five things that I see in his life that helped him to grow into the man of God that he became. The first one is this. Jacob made a commitment to God. In his first Bethel experience, Jacob made this commitment to God. He basically said this. If God will be with me and protect me, then I will make the Lord my God and I will give him a tenth of all that I get. He says, this is the commitment I make to you, God. Be with me and I'll serve you and I'll give you from my resources. He made a commitment. He said, I'm making this commitment. I'm going to walk with you, God. Now, it's a commitment of a young and an immature person. And he was young and immature. And that's all right. But he made a commitment as a young and an immature person. And the reason I say he's young and immature is because he starts off by making a deal with God. You care for me, and I'll serve you. Friend, that's the kind of commitment that immature people make. They have, not, they have no track record with God yet, so they commit to God with strings attached. But I want to knock the commitment. He starts off his young life saying, I'll serve you, Lord, and I'll honor you. Here's how I know it's a real commitment. I'll honor you with my finances. I'll give you 10% of everything I got. It's a strong commitment. A lot of us start that way. I remember 
doing a similar thing when I was young in my life, and I felt called into ministry. I'd been a financial planner. I felt called into vocational ministry, but I had a very structured way I believed in living my life financially, and one of the things was I did not believe I should borrow money on depreciating items or something that did not appreciate in value. And I felt I was supposed to go to Bible college. Here's what you know about Bible college. Sorry to say this, Pastor Paul. He's not in here right now. Suzanne, who else? Your degree from a Bible college isn't worth the paper it's written on in the real world. It's worth something in the church world, but it's not worth anything else. So in my mind, I'm coming out of this going, I've got to go to a four-year college. I've got to spend all this money in private college. And I'm, I'm, it's, it's not a good investment. I'm going to come out making less money than I'll ever make in my life before I do that. I went into it with that in mind. So I said, God, I'll make you a deal. I did. I will go to school and I will work my butt off. I will work tirelessly, but I'll never, par- I'll never borrow one penny. I had no one's going to give me a nickel for school. No parents are going to give me money for college. Um, I will work my tail off, but I will never borrow a dime. The day the money stops, the day I quit. Four years and three schools because I am the, church, I am the college college person. I've been to three undergrad colleges and all three of them have closed down. Uh, <laughs> I had to transfer because they were having problems. And uh, I went to three colleges in three states and walked out in four years um, with $1,000 in my pocket and zero debt. I worked tirelessly during that time, too much, but I worked tirelessly, but God made it work. I made a deal with God. Now, I know this as I look back. That wasn't very mature of me. Who was I to make a deal with God? Who is I to put restrictions on God? But the commitment like that is a starting place. They set you in the right direction of walking with God. And that's, that's a step in the process of maturity. And my, my question for us today is, what type of commitment have you really made to God? What kind of commitments have you really made to God? And are you keeping those commitments? Have you made a commitment? Have you even made the real commitment to say, I'm going to stop living my life and follow God's plan for life? That's called salvation. A lot of people think salvation is just saying, I prayed a little prayer one day. No, salvation is saying, God is my God and I'm not my God. Salvation is when I, when I, when I say, I'm no longer Lord of my life and I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to, you're, you're asking me to become one of your family. I'm going to surrender my life to you. And so that's the most basic of commitments. And you know what? Sometimes we do with strings attached. Like he did as young. We go, well, I'll do it as long as you. I think God looks at it and goes, okay, Mark. I'm going to prove to you that I'm really calling you. I'm going to, if you work hard, I'm still going to make it all work. And he made it all work miraculously, I can say. Miraculously, he made it work. So it starts with a commitment to God, a strong commitment to God, if you're going to grow. Second thing is this. I see that Jacob did this. He learned to do the basic thing. I'll explain what I mean. He learned to do the basic things. When the deceiver, remember that's his name, Jacob, went to stay with his relative Laban, he became deceived. He was deceived, tricked for 20 years, mistreated for 20 years. Laban used him, he lied to him, he tricked him. What was Jacob's response? Now, what we see Jacob now for 20 years working for, what was his response? He's the deceiver who in his own, lies to his own dad, rips off his brother in a way that his brother wants to murder him. Now he comes to Uncle Laban, and Uncle Laban's treating him with the same type of deceit that he treated his, his family with. And how do we see he acted? Here's what we see. He did not 
act that same way back to Laban. Rather, he acted, it says in the text, with honesty, he worked hard, and he was loyal. In fact, when he flees Laban after 20 years, it says, he says he goes to Laban, listen, I have always been honest. I have always been hardworking. You cannot find one thing that I did wrong to you, um, even though you mistreated me. You see, Jacob learned that no matter what others were doing, he would do the basic things of the faith. What are the basic things of the faith? Be honest. Forgive. Don't lie, cheat, and steal. Love your spouse. Honor God. Keep your word. That's the basic stuff. And if you're going to mature, here's what happens all the time. You're always going to be tempted to lie, cheat, and steal. There's always some way to cut corners. If you're going to mature, you have to be a person who says, you know what, I know that that's wrong. Here's what we do. Well, it's gray. Some stuff is gray, but some stuff's not gray. And he learned to not be the deceiver anymore. If you're going to mature in Christ, there's a point where you say, no, right is right and wrong is wrong, and I am going to not make any excuses in the basic stuff. Part of maturing is simply saying, about the basics, I'm going to do them. No excuses. It's doing what you know is right and not doing what you know is wrong. It's not that, it's not that difficult to figure out. This is a step that we all need to take in order to grow. And I want us to think about today, because everyone is trying to think, how would it apply to me? What's that right thing that you know you need to do? There's something inside right now you need to do or you, should, or you, know, you know you need not to do. What is that that, 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 that basic thing of the faith? Are you going to do it? Jacob grew by saying, I'm not going to do it. And I would just say this. You, you have to get past these things if you're going to grow. There has to be this idea that, no, this is the right thing to do. I'm going to choose to do it. It's, it's, it's not all that spiritually tough. It's just a, a decision to say, do the basic things. We have the whole world that's just saying, do whatever you want. There's basic things of Scripture. Lie, cheat, and steal. Be honest. Love your spouse. All these things are just basic things. We have to choose to do them or not. Number three. Jacob was passionate for what was most important, and that was God. He was passionate about the most important thing, that was God. At Peniel, Jacob wrestled with God through the entire night. He wouldn't quit until he was blessed. He was desperate. He was passionate for God's blessing. So much so the guy that, that God breaks his hip or dislocates his hip to say, let me go. No, I won't let you go. Bless me. It says he struggled until he won. Somebody dislocated my hip, I'm going, you win. God dislocates his hip and he doesn't. He says, I'm not letting you go. I don't care if my, I'm dragging my leg. No, bless me. I won't give up until you bless me. If you want to mature in Christ, then your walk with God must be your primary passion. And I'm not talking here about saying you're just saved. I'm saying if you want to become that elder that people respect and look up to and God can use for great things, that your family respects, your children respect, your neighbors respect, and more importantly, your children respect, your spouse respects, and they look to you, if you want to become that person, it only comes one way spiritually, is that Jesus is your primary passion. 
And for that to happen, a lot of times, other things need to fade in their importance in your life. We make decisions. If these other things are all getting in the way, I've got to put some of those things aside so that my passion for Jesus becomes the most important thing. And I'd say this, test yourself here. What are you really passionate about? There's a very easy way to know what you're passionate about. This is just tied to anything. Not spiritual, it's tied to anything. You can see what you're most passionate about by where you spend your time and your money. You can just look at your checkbook and your calendar, and it will tell you what you are most passionate about. Passionate about. It will tell you um, that they're great revealers, where you spend your time, where you spend your money. And the question is today, what does that reveal about us? Does it reveal this deep-seated passion for a closeness to God and the things of God? If not, maybe you need to let a few other things go that are getting in the way of your growth, of your relationship with the Lord where he's challenged you to become better. And why is he challenging you to become better? So that he can use you more in a more effective way, but also so that you live the life of fullness and joy that he intends, which only comes from becoming the person he made you to be. Number four, Jacob let God change him. At Peniel, God changed Jacob's name from name to Israel, from deceiver to one who wrestles with God. He changed him from a prideful, um, deceptive, independent person to a humble and dependent man who begged God for a blessing. Friends, maturing is all about changing, and none of us is too old to change. Abraham had to become Abram had to become Abraham. Saul had to become Paul. Jacob had to become Israel. God's plan is for us to grow and change. And part of maturing is the threatening task of letting go of the past and becoming something new in Christ. I know that can be scary. Because why? The past is familiar And because it's familiar, it feels safe, even if it's unhealthy and limiting. But it feels safe because we know it. But part of growing is this threatening task of saying, God, I want to let go of what I know to get something better. Church, we can trust God enough to let him shape us into someone better because growth requires change. This may be the greatest barrier we face in the growth process, a fear of change. But remember something. The Apostle Paul wrote this um, to to his his protege, Timothy. He said, God has not given us a spirit of what? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God, when you're afraid to grow and change, God has not given you that fear. God has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. So as God challenges us to change, as we, as we so desperately want to cling on to who we are, because we're afraid of what it's, going to, what it's going to feel like to be somebody new, know this, God is the one who's leading you in the direction of growth, and he'll only lead you into better things and places. I'm not saying that path is easy. The path that Jacob went on, the path that God led him on, required all kinds of obstacles. But God brought him 
to a place of maturity because he could trust that God was carrying him along the whole time. So growth requires change. Number five, final one. Jacob grew because as much as possible, he repaired his broken relationships. As much as possible, he repaired his broken relationships. You know, we all make mistakes in life. Anybody who thinks they didn't make a mistake is just not being honest with themselves. Mistakes are part of life. The only person who doesn't make a mistake is the person who never tries anything new. Jacob made some big mistakes. He lied to his father, and he robbed his brother. And those things could not be undone. Here's the things about the mistakes we make. And I'm using the word mistake. Uh, mistake really means something you didn't try to do. He tried to do this. He, made, he, 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 did, he just did things wrong. Um, and those things could not be undone. But he could do his best to repair the damage so he could move forward in his life and become who God wanted him to It was to not get past your broken relationships can act as a roadblock to you going forward with the Lord. So the Bible says as much as is up to you, try to live at peace with all men. You can't change other people. They might not agree, but you do your part to try to, to, try to mend your fences. So what does Jacob do? He returned to his brother to make things right. Now, he could have went a different direction. Because fled Laban, he could have went somewhere else. But no, he went back to his homeland where he knew his brother's waiting there. He returned to his brother to make things right. So what's he do? We didn't read it here, but what he does is he takes all of his, he takes his family, he divides them. He's still, still so afraid his brother's going to kill him. He divides his family in two parts so that if he kills him, the other part can run away and flee. And then he sends a caravan in front of him of goats and rams and ewes and camels and cows and donkeys. A lot of stuff. And every person who's leading that, little, that next little thing, so here comes, a, here comes a certain amount of goats, the person goes, oh, Esau, this is a gift from your brother. And the next person comes up, oh, Esau, this is a gift from your brother. All these people bring all this stuff. And what's Jacob do when he gets to his brother? So he walk up and go, you know what, water under bridge. No, he bows on the ground seven times. He says he bows before his brother seven times in humility and his brother goes, hey, his brother says, water under the bridge. God's blessed me. God's blessed you. Let's have a fresh start. Um, he went to his brother. How did it happen? He never defended his decisions. He went to his brother as a blessing, never looking to justify himself or to make excuses for what he did. He said, I was wrong. I humbled myself before you. Here's a whole bunch of gifts. And his brother said, welcome home. It doesn't always work that way, but we do our best. Maturity, a mature person is the one who leads in the process of repairing broken relationships. A sign of maturity is humility. We live in a world that celebrates being the opposite of humble, of being arrogant. The greatest sign of immaturity is arrogance, according to God's word. Our culture will say the opposite. God's word says the greatest sign of maturity is humility. And he went humility, shows his maturity, and he bowed before his brother and apologized for what he did. It's always worth it, friends, to do your best to restore broken relationships. In fact, a sign that you're maturing is when you're willing to take the risk of taking the lead in restoring a broken relationship. That's a sign of maturity. You're willing to take the risk of taking the lead 
in restoring a broken relationship. I invite the worship team to come this morning. So five principles for growth. I said it earlier, I'm going to repeat the end of this way. The world needs Christians to grow into elders because the world is in a mess. And they need solid people they can look up to and say, this is a person of God. What do you say in the midst of the turmoil? God wants to help us grow and develop so that, like the patriarchs, he can do great things through us. And my thought is this. Maybe one of these five things that I've talked about today, the Holy Spirit is highlighting in your soul. Maybe there's a broken relationship that you've just said this. This is what we say. They're dead to me. They're dead to me. That's not the way Jacob would deal with it. He wouldn't say they're dead to me. No, there's a lot of times you try to repair something and they go, I don't want to talk to you. You've done your part. God will help you move on. You move through that. But the Holy Spirit might be illuminating in your heart today a broken relationship that you say, you know what, I'm going to take the risk of being the initiator and try to build a bridge. If they reject it, they reject it. There's nothing you can do about that. Maybe there's some of the other, the other five that we talked about today. It's, it's doing the right thing. It's doing the basic stuff. There's something going on right now. You have an opportunity to fudge it. You have an opportunity to, to twist it a little bit, to make it, you know it's wrong, but you're going to do it. Here's what it deals. You can get away with it, but you won't grow. You won't become the person God wants you to become. You say, but that doesn't matter. It does matter. That little stuff matters because God's a character building. And if God can trust your character, he can do more through you and develop you more so that you become that elder. But no one's ever going to look to you if they go, yeah, but, but you know what? Really, Mark, if you push comes to shove, he's going to lie about that. It won't, you won't become that person. So what's that thing that God has maybe just brought up to your soul? Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit brings this stuff to our heart for a reason because he loves us. He loves us enough to help us grow. Isn't it? We can't get better if we don't know what's got to get changed. And so he wants to point it out, God, because he's mad at us, because he loves us and he wants to help us grow. Maybe it's the commitment part. Maybe you're here today and you've never made a commitment to walk with Jesus. Or a commitment, maybe it even was that childish commitment, but God wants you to make a solid, strong commitment today of walking with him. I'll tell you this, friend, that commitment only comes as a response to the Spirit calling you. No one ever says yes to Jesus unless God's calling you first. And I just say this, if he's calling your name, make that commitment to walk with him. A commitment that says something like this, on this day, on this day, what is it, the 6th of August, right? 6th? On August 6th, 2023, I made the decision I'm going to walk with Jesus till the day I die. I remember a time in my life, I didn't intend to tell you this, but maybe you need to know this, that I had a really crazy, and you could think it was weird, I really felt like Satan himself came into my house. And it was real. It was something weird. I was in bed. I lived in an apartment. My roommate room was gone. I've told, I've told this story, I think, once before, so maybe you heard it. And it was so real, I felt this, literally, it was in my house. And it was so real that I was walking around looking for someone in my house 
but it was this evil, oppressive spirit. And his thought was like, just give up on Christ, give up on Christ, give up on Christ. I'll tell you the whole story, but basically this is what I did. I took two chairs, middle of the night. I put one chair here, and I put one chair here. I sat at the chair, and I talked to an empty chair. And I said, Satan, I made a decision on that day that I will serve Jesus every day in my life. You can harass me. You can do whatever you want to me. But there is never a day I'm not going to serve Jesus. I will serve him till I die. When I did that, it was gone. You go, oh, you imagined it. My roommate came home later that night. We lived in a, we lived in a four family in West Bend. And there was a common open area when you walked in. You walked in, there was four doors. My, my roommate came into the house because he worked some crazy hours. He got home at like three in the morning. And the next morning... He, he came to me and he said, Mark, what happened here last night? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I'm never afraid. He said, I walked in, I opened the first door to the main entryway. He goes, there was an evil presence in there. I was so afraid to walk in. I just ran through. I put my key in and ran in the house. I came to the house, closed the door, it was gone. I said, let me tell you what happened. I told him about that. That's the kind of commitment I'm talking about. A commitment that says, I'm going to serve Jesus. Come hell or high water, I'm going to serve Jesus. Because there's going to be hell and there's going to be high water. But here's the deal. When you make that commitment, when you make that commitment, he carries you through all those things. You think my faith was built when that next morning my roommate Gary said to me, what in the world happened in this place? I felt this. I went like, holy cow, it was real. It really happened. I didn't imagine it. It's like, holy cow, there's a real enemy. And when I said to him my commitment, he fled I think that built my commitment for every future time I had to face some demon doing something. I'm like, I'm not turning back. That's the kind of commitment God's asking for you. Maybe today's the day you're going to say, you know what, I've been dabbling. But I want to make a real commitment because I want to become an elder. I want to become the kind of guy God can use, the kind of gal God can use. Friends, the church needs us. The church needs us. And the world needs us. That's why God wants to bring help us to grow. Let's pray together. Father, we are your children. This is what we know. If we're, if we're walking with you, and if you give us a choice to accept or reject, you're calling. If we've said yes to you, we know we do it imperfectly, and we know there's stages. We see this in Jacob's life. He starts off young and immature and deal-making, and he, he grows into a man who's just, you can do anything you want through him. And, is, and he becomes a man that you build a nation on. And Lord, that your desire is to help us to become the people you want us to be. You want us to become the kind of people that our kids and our grandkids admire because of our character. And it's not tied to who we are. It's tied to who you are in us. And so, Father, today, I ask for you to help us by showing us if in our lives any of these things that we've looked at from the life of Jacob could be something that you want to develop in us, to help us to move past maybe, to get victory over. And so, Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. If there are roadblocks in our lives that make us 
feel like we can't progress because there's this thing, there's this habit, there's this this inability, this this the resistance to say yes to you in an area of our life. That right now, Holy Spirit, you would just um, speak into our hearts and help us see that you desire to help us in that area, that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And so, Lord, I pray that as we surrender these areas up to you, that in this day and the coming days and the coming weeks and the coming months, if that issue, as it, as it unwinds in our life, as it reveals itself in our life, that, Lord, we will hand it to you and we'll say we are willing to let us, to let you change us. We will do what we can do. We will work hard. But we know maybe some of these areas are areas we've been unable to get past. So, Lord, we know that we need you to enable us to do what we can't do on our own. So we open up our hearts. And we say, God, we invite you in. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. Do the work in us that we can't do on our own. You never, meant, you never meant for us to do it on our own. You never meant for us to live this life by our own strength and power and wisdom. You meant it for us to be dependent on you. So Father, for all of us, I pray that you would, that you would just speak deep into our hearts. Because we want to grow. We want to develop in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to encourage you that if the Lord is dealing with you, that you don't run off. If the Lord is dealing with you on a topic, you spend a little bit of time. It can be come up here and pray. Find a spot at your seat and pray. But don't run off. Do business with God. Don't miss an opportunity God's given you. Spend some time just just solidifying with the Lord, letting Him speak into your heart. Then when you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, quietly make your way out of the sanctuary because other people are going to stay in here and pray and worship. If there's other prayer needs you have this morning, uh, feel free to come forward. Our prayer team will be up, up in the front here to pray with you. Pray with them. Let them pray with you. And, and give those things over to the Lord. But don't leave if you feel the Lord's got business for you to do. So let me just pray this great blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, friends. If you feel ready by the Lord to leave, feel free to leave. If you want us to pray, spend some time in prayer. God bless you.